Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. To that end, I often get guests on, authors and people related to the world of making books and making stories, including psychologists, neuroscientists, publishers, editors, agents, publicists, assorted peeps, and we talk about uh, their attempts and efforts to write books, often hugely successful. I've recorded over a hundred hours of interviews with those people uh, to date, and um, really enjoyed doing those episodes, and uh, between all the people I've had on, they've sold literally millions and millions of books uh, which is quite exciting the number of people who must have it's, you know we covered a reasonable and a non-trivial percentage of the planet's readers in the english language with the guests i've had on which is pretty exciting um, and i've also sometimes uh, look at listeners first pages of their work that you can send that to me via my website tinklepoet.co.uk just click on the contact me link you can send me the first 250 words of your work in progress uh well ideally like thing is every time i say please you know send me something super polished something you finished no one ever does like no one's gonna like i don't think anyone has ever sent me something of a genuinely finished novel that they've polished but I keep asking it anyway I think that's the best time to send me is something that you've really taken absolutely as far as you can I think people tend to send me stuff from their work in progress what can I say you'll you'll hear you might hear some stuff that you already know uh but if you get the more polished it is the better but I look at those and I give feedback basically and then sometimes I talk on particular subjects sometimes I don't even know what I'm going to say before I switch before I switch the, the recorder on, I, I, I just press record and I go. That is my commitment to you. That is that is my commitment to making awesome things, to making content that you can rely on is, you know, the three, the three main cornerstones of, I think, creating a successful podcast is have a reliable and predictable and completely constant upload schedule done that uh, always spend time preparing your content to make sure that it's coming from an informed place and then edit it down so it's just the it's 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 just the it's just the toasted beef marrow scraped onto sourdough bread and then finally um I, actually unfortunately i don't know the third which is why the podcast is in the shape it is no i'm obviously kidding i i, I do the podcast uh, around my life and i've been super busy with getting ready for the new book coming out and also i had covid and i was recording the audio book for my new book coward why we get anxious and what we can do about it uh which was just like using up my vocal cords i know that sounds like a, a weird excuse but i i was i could barely speak at the end of each day and i was like well I should just probably save my voice a little bit and we actually had to do it we actually had to schedule it so I was recording every other day uh, because I I just didn't 
I needed a day for my voice to rest afterwards. So that was exciting. Um, but that's that I've been keeping busy. And, and like I said, I, I think I've alluded to on it. I, you know, I had a pretty sad start to this year. It's been like pretty difficult for me and my lovely family. Um, I've just been kind of like recovering emotionally from that a little bit. And I think with all those things combined, uh, I, you know, I've just tried to go easy on myself when it comes to an upload schedule and do it when I feel able to around my work commitments and things like that. I hope that's all right. But I, I, I just think, you know, if I was saying to you, if I was trying to like talk about being kind to yourself and, you know, modeling self-care and then I was sort of doing this probably badly as well um, and not being able to pay for my mortgage and stuff then I think there would be an element of hypocrisy there I don't think I think we've got a it's always a it's always a tricky business anyway like the one final thing I want to say is that there are some episodes the, the, these writing ramble episodes I call them where I just talk and that's what I'm doing now you know it's unexpurgated it's uh, an unedited it, uh, unfortunately I'm not like a terribly controversial polarizing figure I think so <laughs> you know that idea of it being unedited unedited unexpurgated would imply that there were some sort of truths that were being censored that you'll get access to here but it's it's more like there's some first draft that although look i tell you what doing these episodes and doing them and improvising them and talking about subjects and i have got a subject i want to talk about today i want to talk about the process of getting a book published uh I want to actually talk about, you know, for fiction and non-fiction because I, I don't think I've done an episode where I've just talked through what happens in any kind of systematic way. And, I, you know, we touched on different things and, and you probably could pick it together. And I know there's lots of places you could go where you can hear about that. But I just thought I'd give you my perspective on what happens with, uh, you know, the, the, the sausage factory. What happens? Because I, I, my focus tends to be on the craft side of things right and the artsy fartsy side of things you know like your experience as a writer and also making writing good so it, it, you know part of it is about writing as a as a path and a craft and something that you do to enhance your life without really sort of no or little or no consideration for the reader or any kind of end state and certainly not of it as a career but just doing it as something that enhances your life and I I used to be very sneery about that kind of thing because I felt it was self-indulgent. And I, I probably, and I think I've sort of copped to this before and I'm sort of making myself say it again, not for brownie points, but just because I think it's true and I think I need to sort of acknowledge it. But I, I, think there was a, I think there was probably, maybe I'm being unfair with myself, but I think there was probably some unexamined misogyny there because the idea that you write to understand yourself or as therapy I, I think in my head it was associated with uncon at least unconsciously or maybe consciously with with that being a sort of a womany thing I, as if that's I don't know it wasn't like I'm therefore it's bad but I, I think that the two were like a little bit conflated in my head that that the what the, the just that getting it maybe it wasn't a misogyny thing maybe it's just my inability to like be in touch with my feelings but the idea that it would make your writing bad to get in touch with your feelings as opposed to doing this kind of as opposed to just opening the bonnet and or the hood if you're in america and and getting under there with a with a spanner 
band and kind of just like that there's a nuts and bolts aspect to writing that craft is about learning the rules of grammar maybe maybe i mean maybe it's just an alienation to feelings maybe i'm trying you know maybe i'm trying to hang myself out to dry unfairly and it wasn't i don't remember ever consciously going oh that's for girls but i but i wouldn't also put it past my younger self definitely sort of there somewhere in the background uh and, and maybe that was just the milieu that i kind of grew up in but i i i just feel if not if it wasn't ma a masculine and feminine kind of polarity then it was definitely a, on one hand here's serious writing that's about craft and about word choice and about structure and about all these things that i suppose are at least more on the practical side that it was a craft that you could learn and that it was a craft that was entirely about a kind of mathematics and uh, uh, sculpting stuff, but it was structural. It was a form of engineering, really. And then on the other side, there were people who went to sort of art therapy, and they did these, they did these courses where they were encouraged to get in touch with their feelings. And you need to show yourself more in this, and 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 that, and then they would produce bad writing, but bad writing that they felt was very important to them and and, and 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 I just imagined that books written like that would just feel like reading a transcript to someone's therapy session or worse meeting someone for a coffee and they tell you about they oh, I had this really interesting conversation with my therapist recently actually don't tell me about what you did in therapy no one wants to hear that shush which, which I think is probably true but maybe a bit mean I don't know like I've got mixed feelings about that I think we probably don't well I don't not a big fan of therapy culture as a way of just I, I like people being open about their feelings but I don't necessarily want a blow-by-blow -blow replay of uh, your latest mini epiphany where you pay a middle-class person to listen to you and then they say something that you could have probably got out of a fortune cookie or a horoscope Sorry, I don't. Why am I being mean? I was, I was going to talk about publishing anyway. Look, 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 look. I, I just, I just feel now, you because I mean, you can still hear these te cynical tendencies in me, and I, I, I got mixed feelings about them. You know, I, I, I feel guilty and bad about feeling saying things like that. It probably isn't fair, because I wouldn't want someone to shush me up by saying, "Oh God, it's so self-indulgent to like talk about your feelings or about some." sort of breakthrough that you had and it's not really is it what I'm saying is that there's a type of writing that you can produce completely legitimately that isn't really for a wide audience but is for you expressing stuff and sometimes later on stuff where you were working through a problem or feelings can produce great writing as well now it, you know it needs to go through a process of editing it needs to go through a process of having an editor or agent or you know some external people give you feedback and you need to respond to that it needs to have a shape it you know it's it I, I, I don't really believe in this idea that, that that you're tainting your original vision if other people come in and give you feedback. But we, we can also write for the purpose of making ourselves happier or understanding ourselves or for its in own intrinsic pleasure. Anyway, that was all, you know, by the by to say that I don't often talk about the industry side 
partly because I'm just not interested in it, and partly because there's going to be three parties actually, because partly it doesn't split in half, so I can do more than one, isn't there? So partly because I'm not particularly interested, partly because I'm not particularly skilled in that area, you know, partly because of the lack of aforementioned lack of interest, and partly because I just think there's a lot of people who talk about it already, where you can go and hear them opine at length about the industry and how you need to deal with it and stuff but the London Book Fair's just been on and it kind of reminded me of the whole ind- I went there back in 2008 I want to say and I filled in the form I, I misrepresented myself on the form because I was told that like authors are the lowest on the food chain there like no agent or editor or pub you know no one wants to speak to an author they're all avoid if they see that you've got the author color badge i think it was green back then or something or blue for the authors but they had different colored badges they'll like avoid you because the you know the pariah of the of london book fair are authors going there to pitch their book because it's not it's it's set up for publishers to go and see each other hang out maybe make some like do some international deals and also just like check in with each other and chat about books and stuff like that that's what it's set for and then there's a whole food chain of smaller publishers who've paid for stalls uh probably and have made a mistake doing that (laughs) because they're not going to get enough foot traffic for it to work but they they feel like they ought to be there because it's a trade fair and stuff like that but authors go there and they try and pitch their books to people and people aren't just like it, it's just a bad look on multiple levels uh, because agents and editors are busy. So it's like interrupting them while they're trying to use the toilet, basically, or like walking into a meeting that they're in to like the authors who go and do that. Are, um, no, that's not fair. All right, so I read some of the books that they were handing out because I faked my ID and went there as a publisher. So I had lots of authors approaching me. And the people who were going around sharing books, their books were shit. Like, the books I read were shit. Like, they were wonderful people. I really liked many of the people I encountered. Um, They were lovely. They weren't stupid. They were really valuable human beings. And... Uh, you know I think often quite successful in the industries that they worked in so it's this isn't like a knock on them but the books were crap like there was a reason that they hadn't been accepted by people it's because the books were fucking shite they were really bad and often the people had like pay would pay to get them like professionally I mean semi-professionally sort of bound up and done as books as if to say look I've done this already and 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 they, and they would very confidently tell me what publishers want right and, and that surprises me when I'm wearing a badge saying I'm the CEO of a fake publishing company that authors would approach me and then start telling me what publishers wanted as if I wasn't the authority on it and I wasn't Maybe they just saw through. Maybe I was just giving off an authory vibe. Maybe it's my posture. But they go, look, these days you can't get... And this is like clearly received wisdom that they picked up, I guess, from the internet or other unpublished authors. But they come approach me and say, this guy was like saying, look, you you can't sell any books these days unless you self promote themselves. You know, publishers aren't interested in publishing people unless they're famous, unless they're already a name. So they've got to know 
that you can sell your book. And and look, I've like printed this up already. I already know I've got like a whole promotional scheme set in my head for when it comes out as a movie, um, for the whole series of books that are going to come after this. And all I can say to you is that I think most editors will run a mile from someone saying that. Not, I mean, not really. They'll be very, very polite because, you know, by and large, they're middle class and by and large they're entirely like the entire publishing industry with a with a couple of sort of plucky um outliers is upper middle class like i feel when i've hung out with people in the publishing industry when i first went to like the hey on why festival god it can't be 2005 was it when i was on tv with channel four and i was doing was recording how to get a book deal so only 17 years ago. Um, I remember going then and just feeling so out of it and so small. And I, maybe that isn't because of a class thing. Although I think class is a bit... I'm hyper-conscious of class in the UK. Maybe it's because I wasn't in that industry. <laughs> maybe maybe I feel the same... You know, I, I guess I feel the same at a teacher's conference. Like if I just turned up... <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I don't feel very welcomed here. I don't feel like people are embracing me. That's because this isn't your job. These are all colleagues, Tim. They're like hanging out with each other because they know each other. It's like you turning up at someone's wedding reception and going, God, it's a bit of a cold atmosphere here. I don't feel the same. Everyone's sort of like in their own groups. Yeah, because they know each other, Tim. It's because they know each other. You don't know them. <laughs> Maybe it was that. But like, I think I, I went there and I definitely felt like a divide between them and me in a way that I don't when I go to other events I just you know I, I see myself as being lower middle class and God, I was once t I was once someone once told me that they thought I was the most class conscious person that they'd ever met I don't know if that's true but I definitely I grew up you know in a family where my parents had to you know had married across the class divide <laughs> Like a like an Edo period courtly romantic saga, um, they had they had uh, except that they'd actually rather than pining for each other and and accepting the social structure and the destiny and that being somehow more romantic that the uh, social structure persisted um, and the forbidden love they, they did and, you know my mum grew up in a you know working class family who where, you know, struggled with money quite a lot. And she was the uh, one of only two people. I am going to get onto the publishing thing in a second, but only one of two people in her school to pass the 11 plus and go to a grammar school. So she was like, there's two working class kids in this grammar school. And she said, no one, none of the other kids would speak to her. The only other person was the other working class girl who went there, whose dad was a chimney sweep and her dad was a worked at a gas works. I think that profoundly affected her. Whereas my dad grew up in a nice middle class family, and then uh, and then married down. No, like my mum, you know, like my mum's family are all like really smart and like great. It just didn't grow up with loads of inherited wealth. And you know, my mum went to university, and so did my dad. My mum was incredibly smart, smarter than me in many lots of ways. She's certainly better at. Ma you know, she did a degree in maths. I 
flipping heck. You know, like, I couldn't do any of that. My brain doesn't work like that. But I think that she grew up sort of very class conscious because my dad's parents were snobs, basically. And I think I inherited a bit of that, you know. Not snobbery, I hope. Um, but awareness of class divides, awareness of how, and I think lots of British people have it, but not all of them will admit it, especially the higher up the class divide. you, The higher up the classes you go, the less people are willing to concede that class is a thing, that class exists, that Oh, God, the more posh people get, the more they go, I don't see class. I don't think it really exists. That's like a maybe years ago, but, you know, now we don't have the 11 plus, you know, something that, you know, more or less (laughs) divided people by class. Now, we still have public schools, you know, we still have fee-paying schools. We still have a whole system where the majority of people who rule over us, the political class, come from that background. And, and the same is true of publishing, you know. Publishing is doesn't pay very well at the lower levels and is largely, is almost exclusively, but not entirely, based in London. So unless you've got contacts who can get you work experience there and you know people who can basically put you up in London or bankroll you huge amounts of money to survive in publishing for those first x number of years then then you're not going to be able to you know after you've done a degree by the way and then you've got to get in and then you've got to sort of sound right as well you know they've got to think this person feels like they're going to be a good fit yeah um then then you're not then you simply you know publishing can have all this sort of diversity drives at once but you're not going to get a bit a, a massive pool of candidates that look anything or sound anything or come from any different background than what you've got already unless those structural obstacles are removed and you know I'm not I and 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 as you can imagine like I I I don't I don't I don't sound (laughs) I don't I consider myself like lower middle class right so I'm still middle class I still got all this I'm still uh a white cis male who I, I think, you know, I went to university. I have various, I have friends who are, you know, who I knew when they were just sort of entering publishing, who are sort of like now sort of friends I had have moved up through the ranks who are in various positions of sort of increasing authority. Uh, I You know, I think I it's really easy for me to overlook the incredible amount of good fortune that 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 greases the wheels of publishing i think because i find writing so hard because i literally had a breakdown trying to write books to become a writer professionally because i literally felt like i couldn't continue my life it's very hard for me to then you know i get i'd get very defensive if someone said yeah but it's easy for you compared to other people and the truth is it's not been easy for me, but it has been easier and it has been considerably easier. And frigging, I mean, 
you know, and there's different ways that people can, you know, I think there could be other people might not be, might not find being a human being and relating to other human beings quite so hard as I have and sometimes do. But the, there's lots of structural things in the way. And I definitely felt like a complete outsider and an utter plum when I was moving through the world of publishing and when I've been to publishing parties uh, and when I've been at social gatherings with other people from publishing it's just just felt so awkward and I'm a professional author right who's been doing this who's been working in the arts for you know yeah like nearly 20 years nearly 20 years and I still feel like that who went to university who did an MA in prose fiction at the most prestigious uh, sort of fiction MA in the UK, the University of East Anglia. You know, I was someone who turned down Oxford. I got accepted at Oxford and I I, I turned them down to go to to UEA because I wanted to do writing. I've got all this background in sort of people I know. I do this podcast. I've done over 100 hours of interviews. I've just, you know, with all these authors, loads of best-selling authors, I can I can message people who are in the publishing industry. I can message authors. And not everyone gets back to me and not everyone says yes, but a lot of people do. Like I'm at that level where I I've, I've got the ear of I, there's no one I feel like it would be rude of me to message and ask. I say message, I don't mean like on my phone. I haven't got them all in my mobile phone. But, you know, I can email people or publicists. Like, that's an ins- and I, And I still feel like an outsider. I think most people feel like outsiders. Though. Actually, I did ask this on Twitter ages ago. Like, do you feel like an outsider? And I think the vast majority of, of respondents said that they did. And that included people who were professional authors and I think outsider status is probably something that is felt by a lot of human beings I think most of us have a have a feeling of alienation a feeling of being a bit of a weirdo a feeling of not quite being in step with the age I think people who you know you know are quite traditional in a way that would make you think they were kind of normies and feel like actually they've been left behind by a changing society and people who are part of the forefront of a changing society feel like they're outliers and they don't fit in either so most of us probably feel like weirdos uh that is not to take away from that is not to say that actual structural barriers are all in people's heads but anyway i just want to talk through what happens with a book because i see all the time and it it drives me bananas right and I, I know I'm a difficult person sometimes and I I I I you know having got you know I haven't really talked I mentioned this a few times I've alluded to it and but having now gone and got my like diagnosis of autism which is you know they're they're I, I guess it's in the category of what used to be called Asperger's and stuff but I now feel I, I I don't really as I've said before I don't really know what I think about uh, autism and it's growing you know its current utility as a diagnostic label when it's such a broad phenotype which is so diverse and heterogeneous like I I, I think it's I think it's complicated I think 
there are lots there's lots of controversy around it i think there's lots of people on the internet doing discourse about it who could do with a tad more epistemological humility before they start saying what i do or don't think you know when they start talking on my behalf i don't you know i don't even i don't know how much of a thing it is really but i'm despite all of that i am completely willing to exploit it to try and get away with stuff and try and tap the sign when people accuse me of being rude or arrogant because that's something that people with autism have been accused of all their all their lives right like it's just like that's you know when i that was the first thing I was told when I got my got my diagnosis. It's like the it's like the the Gideon Bible of new autism diagnoses is you need to go and read Neurotribes, which I'm always uh, it's like read this pop psych book. But it you know a lot of the people who've been diagnosed, you know, we, we get talked about as if like they'd always had, you know, they had this arrogant supercilious manner or whatever and actually you find that they've just got like a kind of flat affect and they point out things that they think are false and it's read by other people as they're arrogant but they just feel like they're just disagreeing and i it's weird to me in the horrible diarrhea tornado that is twitter that uh pete that even within people who talk about autism i am look i'm subtweeting here like someone someone i got i got told off by another author and they told me how i felt about something and they said that i was condescending and arrogant because i disagreed with something and they told me what I meant and they told me what my tone was. And you know what? Like, I'm not accepting that, really. Like, I'm not accepting that someone can tell me what I personally think. Especially if I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm using it as an excuse, right? But like, if you accept that autism is a thing and that it's primary, one of the, you know, one of the primary, primary sort of ways that it, demonstrates itself is that I might there might be parts of my affect that are not the same as other people's that you might not be able to read off from how I speak and my choice of exact choice of words my intent in a way that you could with a neurotypical person that you might actually have assumptions like oh he you know his tone of voice makes it sound like he's very sure of himself oh he just stepped in and disagreed oh he's been aunt you know i worry all the time i'm like am i answering too many do i say hello to too many people on twitter is that is that like an etiquette violation am i a reply guy because i speak to people i just like speaking to people is that wrong if someone says something and i say actually i, th I don't think it's like that is that if if were they only posting it because they wanted uncritical validation or silence? Are they not up for having a respect? Don't friends have respectful discussions about stuff? Don't we dis Do we not disagree? Like everyone I care about disagrees with me about stuff and tells me I'm wrong. Often like vigorously. 
it's, it's not an attack on my right to exist. It's not a referendum on my worth as a human being. They're just saying stuff they disagree with, right? Isn't that is that not okay? Is that not okay? I I I, I don't. Maybe it's not. Like I don't know. Like I find online stuff and. I'm, but I don't think this is an autism thing, right? Like people say, well, that's because, but it's not, is it? Like everyone feels that. Like the only people who don't feel like that are, comp- are like people who've stared, who spent too long peering into the mystery of the discourse and have gone insane. Like, like there's a few people out there who have just spent so long being either like pundits or talking heads or people on or youtube or twitch people just having discourse opinions about that where they just uh, represent part of politics or a particular subject they just go completely like they lose their minds and they become someone who's never wrong and is always supremely confident in a way that just makes them look inhuman and and bananas like it just rots their brain that anyone who disagrees with them can only be doing so in bad faith. It's 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 really bad. But I don't think that's I don't think it's an auti- autism thing to be like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> but I but I'm prepared to use it as an excuse. Like if uh, because because it just because this is what the modern world of discourse has come down to, hasn't it? That you can just point to something and like if people accept everything that they've said so far, I can just joke, well, sorry, are you telling a, 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 an artistic man that he's, that he's, are you, are you tone policing him? Are you telling him he's using the wrong tone of voice? That I haven't used the right, because you know, you're not pointing out a problem in my argument. You're just saying, I, I'm, that I've used the wrong tone. Well, that's my inability to, are you saying that like I haven't judged I've misgaged the mood well that's part of my diagnosis isn't is is impairment in doing that so like either you're attacking me in an ableist manner or you don't believe it like like you can't have both like maybe you shouldn't make anyway that's that's my that always going to be my excuse um so, look, I want to talk about publishing. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little sidebar. That was a little sidebar. Um. So, look, publishing. Here's how it works. That was that was a, a real lovely little insight into Tim Clare's mind. No, I don't mind. Like, I don't. I just don't know. I feel like I. I, I hope that it comes across that there's a little bit of guilt in how I feel where I feel like I could I could always just kind of not hold myself accountable for anything I say or do because I can always go well can you blame me I'm uh, I, I I can't I can't help it I, I don't know how people feel of course I can tell how people feel sometimes of course I understand like the rules to stuff it just it's an odd thing to me I mean I I, I well, happily, if people will give me a free pass and I can have people be kinder to me and more charitable and I can use it to be charitable myself, of course, I'll exploit it for that. But is it the case? Oh, no. Well, of course, you've learned how to do it because you're anyway, I'm getting off into autism discourse, but it's, it's just weird. It's just complicated to me. And I feel like it's not often well thought through. And I think it's often well, the way we talk about it makes it seemed like it's something exotic when I think it's on a continuum with stuff that everyone hears, feels all the time. 
I'm gonna go, I am I'm gonna go off on it a little bit more and then we'll get on to publishing, right? Because this is my podcast, I can talk about what I want. But this idea, right? That it's like, oh well, I don't know, but sometimes autistic people can be incredibly sensitive because they've had to observe and learn how to behave as humans. Every fucking human learns how to behave and learn societal rules by observation. That's how it works. That what, what who do you think? jumps into the world knowing the etiquette and standards and social norms of their specific culture and community no one no one does that's not that's not a thing that's that's bananas what a thing to say oh but i learned how to do it by I had to watch people very carefully. Sometimes, when I was a child, I made social gas. Really? Fucking hell, you must be the first kid to ever say, did you say something embarrassing in front of some adults and then re- later realise that it was inappropriate? Did you learn to gauge the mood slightly better? Did you stop walking into the room and, and singing F- Frere Jacques for the 20th time while, pe- while, while your mum had a headache and then you realised that that wasn't... You learned, after a while, you had better social awareness that um, that's everyone that's not a thing that i mean that's just a thing for everyone I, I, sorry i'm not suggesting the autism doesn't exist by the way i i i, I know but i i just think some of the criteria for what they used to call high functioning autism which would be what i would have been diagnosed with but now they just want to sort of flatten down into just being autism it just seems weird it's I just don't understand how that's any different from anyone. I'm a bit bit sensitive to sound. Well, yeah, okay, that's like maybe maybe sounds uh, and sensory sensitivity are like a bit more of a thing. Maybe. I mean, I think most of us, when we've been in the flashing arcade of a bowling alley with lights and sounds for three hours, feel a bit drained afterwards. And then if you go somewhere very quiet and you sit down, you feel less drained. You feel refreshed, in fact. That's called being a person. I don't know. Like, I, it, on the other hand, it may all seem, let me know what you think, because on the other hand, it may all seem a bit ridiculous to me, because if I've, and this was the explanation that other people have forwarded to me, basically, it's like, well, if you are autistic and then you hear other people describing their symptoms, you go, that's just what it's like being a person. And actually, lots of people who've got diagnosis had this experience. And and then it's and so you feel outraged because you're like, well, you're just describing my life. Yeah, because you have the same thing, but not everyone feels like that. And certainly when I filled in, like they gave me like lots of checklists and stuff. I am going to get to publishing. They gave me lots of checklists before I had my diagnosis. You have to fill in like various stuff about your background and your and there's some some of them are sensitivity questionnaires and for three of the four things on like different sensory sensitivity things i scored right 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 up in the top percentile and i was shocked by that because i was just like i'm just describing what it's like to be a normal person but it's like i can't like the the i think it was about 600 odd people i want to say where was the n equals it tells you on the thing like how many people they met they they got their not they they gave the survey to a bunch of people and they got their norms of like how people tended to respond now there's lots of problems with self-report in terms of how people interpret it and and what it means and but it's like 
you had to just respond to a bunch of stuff that was like not at all slightly agree really agree strongly agree and it would be you know like i don't like wearing clothes with scratchy labels or i sometimes you know feel if there's lots of loud noise i need to get away or you know i i like i i like the taste of spicy foods or things like that. it was that it was those kind of statements like all different checking all different sensory things and and i i scored really 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 highly on it so maybe you know i'm ranting about this because it doesn't make any sense to me because it just describes what it's like to be a human for me or maybe both things can be true and i could fit some of the some of the typical things but we can have a spiky profile and be strong in some areas and not so strong in others maybe i genuinely do have some kind of challenge and maybe as a diagnostic label it's it's not entirely well worked out at the moment we've got a long way to go uh, as the uh, as the dictum as box the math great mathematician as box's dictum goes all models are wrong and, and we're only ever just sort of like iterating to try and make our hypotheses and models get closer to reality but it's not actually they won't ever quite match and mesh with reality uh anyway look publishing see this is why it's right this is why it's a writing ramble because we get to go off get to open a parentheses and go off on a little a little quest and then finish it and close that parentheses this is why i love footnotes in books this is why I love footnotes, and this is why my editor always says, Tim, you need either this is relevant to the book, in which case it's shouldn't it deserves more than a footnote, or it's not, in which case you should cut it out. And I go, well, no, because sometimes footnotes are just a nice little bonus. Sometimes footnotes are like an optional extra. They're like, and 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 a reader can jump in if they want. And I got in my new book, in in Coward, because I wanted it to have the, I wanted a little bit of science theatre. I had end notes instead of footnotes. Well, no, there are footnotes as well, but there's over 30 pages of end notes that people can go and read if they want so they can see what studies I've referenced and they can read my thoughts on some of those studies, on the methodology. Oh, Tim's got some... Oh, Tim's got some opinions about study design. He must be an expert. Well, no, maybe I just like doing the performance. Oh, maybe I want to give the appearance of being an expert. Maybe I'm not actually an expert. Maybe actually it's much easier to criticise something using a, a, a few a, a, a few sort of generic moves that you've learned from meta-science to give the appearance of knowing what you're talking about by being sceptical about it. Because... After all, isn't that what Jordan B. Peterson does all the time? Is like Bill goes, well, don't you think climate change is a threat? And he goes, oh, well, uh, but then if you've got a climate change, you've, you've got to, uh, because a thermometer can be wrong. And uh, uh, you, you see, you go uh, five years in the future and the, and the model uh, is exponentially more uh, unstable. Well, great. You've just like alluded to the existence of maths. That doesn't mean that the fucking... Ice caps aren't collapsing into the sea, you absolute buffoon. That wasn't a very good impression of his ludicrous cry voice. Right, publishing, let's go. 
Tim, focus, we can do this. Right, so when you write a book, it's slightly different for fiction and non-fiction. I'm talking about the UK here. It may be different in the US. Um, people in the US are constantly wanking on about writing the perfect query letter. I'm querying today. Fuck querying. I've never done it in my life. I don't know a single British writer who's told me that no, certainly no one I know has ever talked to me in, in the UK about writing query letters. I think it's absolute bollocks. Like you just you can email email an agent and say I've got a book. Do you want to see it? Like it shouldn't be some there's no six secret words you've got to say. If, if an agent is judging you based on that and they're making you jump through hoops, fuck them. Like, I think that they're ridiculous and, and, and more fool them. You can't go into this with this act where well, you can, but you, you don't need to. If your book, is, you just write a fucking excellent book and then when you send it to someone, you're doing them a favour, you're making them money. You don't have to be like a cock to them, but you, you certainly don't need to go like, you know, you don't need to shuffle in to their the walnut panelled drawing room, the tick of a long case clock and, 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 and stand there um, digging your toe in into the tiger skin rug, uh, slow bashfully uh tapping your index fingers together saying uh, uh i don't suppose you could possibly deign to look at my fuck that right so so one my first piece of advice off the off the bat is fuck worrying about this is how you write a query letter this is what you need to compare your book to this is how you need to get someone's attention if they're making you do all that, they're just tossers and they, they're not worthy of your time. Your, if your book is amazing, it will it will fight. Someone will get it and they will move mountains to sell it. If it's not, no mount, amount of fancy. This is the soup spoon. This is the dessert spoon. Etiquette training is going to make it good. And, and why would you want to work with someone who makes you dance like a performing chimpanzee just to get them to read your fucking book my book is brilliant just it's gonna be good if you don't read it someone else is gonna take it you don't say that to them just send an email it doesn't matter it didn't matter to me like people just liked my work and they read it despite the, my having all the social graces of a labrador puppy that was raised on a farm with lots of windy days like there's just just write a good book that's what's gonna make the money in the end not like oh this person has read an article on how to write a fucking query letter what sort of idiot what sort of idiot agent is is judging books by whether you can copy a template Like, they say that's what they want. They don't fucking want that. They want good manuscripts. That's it. That's it. They might think it's a good heuristic, but it's not. Like, don't write something rude. Just write something short in your query 
if you need to send them an email, email saying, do you want to read it? That's it. That's it. That's it. Like, I, can't, I cannot stress this enough what bollocks I hear about the art of querying and then some like one agent will post on Twitter going, please don't send me stuff like, like you know, learn how to write a, 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 a like send it to an agent who looks after the kind of stuff you're writing, but don't fucking put any energy into figuring that thing out. Put all your energy into making your book good, right? That's the first bit. So first, you're gonna want you you write your novel or with a non so you write with a novel you write the whole novel generally unless you get a multi book deal. And especially if you're just starting out, you write the entire novel. Not only do you write the entire novel, you write it well. You know, give it to friends, work on it, work on it, make it good. And I made the mistake of sending an agent, you know, back in the day, years ago, it must be 2004. I sent an agent the first chapter of my book, first three chapters of my novel. And she said, I really like it. She phoned me at like 8.20 in the morning and woke me up because I was slovenly type back then. I said, I want to see the rest. And I didn't answer because I was in bed. And then I listened to the message and it said, Tim, I love the first three chapters. Could you send me the rest of the book? No, I couldn't because I hadn't written it. So I had this hellish like month of trying to write a novel really quickly. And then I sent it to her and she didn't get back for ages. And then when she got back, she said, I don't like it. And I had all these attempts to rewrite it to please her. And she didn't like it and would never send it out. And I felt devastated and then I had a breakdown. <laughs> um, so don't do that. Like, I think you want to send something out when you finished it and make it just fucking good. But so with novels, what you tend to do is send an email saying, do you want to see something from me? When they say yes you send them the first three chapters and then if they like that you send them the rest there should be no gap between uh you you should have the rest of it ready to go and then you know the publisher will also judge it on the full manuscript with non-fiction you tend to go send the email saying do you want to see something from me once they say yes i, I would you send them generally like a chapter and a plan of what the rest of the book would look like and you might well have not written most of that and then they look at that and they make the decision blah 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 so so it so so, so you, you send out your email and just to say because i've just like rubbished queries you, you know you probably say hey i've hi um i've written a book called blah 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 um it's a it's about this don't worry about making that a good description or not i don't give a shit like i just um, people say you've got to compare it to two other books. No, you don't. That's bollocks. There's lots of people, like most of the people who will tell you this, by the way, are not published or are not trad published authors, right? A lot of people who write those articles, you're like, who the fuck's this? They're not like it. You don't need to do it. Like you do not need to do it. It's nonsense. Think about who is giving you this information. And if there's someone who works for an agency, I'll just say there's other agencies where you don't have to do that. They're just talking about themselves, what they want. And trying to put that into... They're trying to. They're saying their standard is what they want, the standard for the world. So they'll just go, this is how it is. No, it's not. No, it's not. You can meet... You. Can, I mean, like, 
I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, agents, agents will hate me for saying this. No, they won't. Like, if you meet an agent at an author event, right? So not a, a trade show, but an author event. And you get chatting and, and you go, I'm working on a novel. And they'll say, what's it about? And you say, it's about this. They might ask you to send it to them. Like you don't like you, you or you can just email them afterwards and say you don't even have to pitch there. You can talk to them and then email them afterwards and say, hey, really enjoyed ch chatting to you. I just say I'm writing a novel about blah, blah, blah. Would you like to see the first three chapters? I'll probably say yes, probably. Unless it's like not related to anything on their list. But if you know some of the other authors that they look after and you like those authors work or you think you're you could mention that. But it just doesn't matter. Just like if. If you say what the book's about, just in the same way you'd explain to anyone, not doing it perfectly, not pitching it, just going, oh, it's a book about like a kid who like joins a, a like a, it's like a school for assassins and it's being trained and it's in a society where uh, uh, like quite a lot of the politics revolves around political assassinations and he's being, he's being trained to become uh an assassin but as he gets in deeper he realizes you know he's, he's struggling with the morals of it and it's and it's quite I, I guess like it's quite darkly funny right like that's a, not a book that exists but one that i just made up i haven't used any pitch structure for that but like either they go yes i'd fucking love to see that or they can no but they know from that like if, if someone doesn't hear that and they don't go that oh god i would like to see if that's good actually like you don't want someone who goes, oh, that's not really my thing, but I'll take a look at it. No, I want someone who goes, shit, yes. Like, they're not screening you, you're screening them. If they don't love your idea... Like, there was this whole thing that, like... I know Chris Rock got slapped recently, Um, so this is not about him as a human being. I'm just... It's not, I'm not trying to make some kind of, like, social comment, but Chris... I, I heard that, like, Chris Rock... He used to go to uh, open mics to try out new material for when he was working up a, a new set or a special or something like that. And he would go and he would, this is the story, the, the, the industry story about him, that he would go and he, in, instead of like putting any energy into his performance, he would just like deliver a really flat, sort of almost monotone, but like downbeat, like a very sort of low energy, slightly low status, like not throwing it, the gig exactly but like not doing his normal kind of like high energy set um he would just like deliver all his material quite in a kind of like almost you know quite neutral way on the basis that like he's got enough stage experience uh and enough of a profile that he could probably sell quite bad material if he needed to uh especially with a small audience who weren't necessarily expecting him but he wanted to know which bits were really, really funny. So if he just sort of slightly undersold it and it still got a laugh, then it was probably good material, right? That was, his, that was you know, that's the, the, the story, the anecdote that goes round about him. The same thing with agents. I'm not saying you deliberately throw it, but if you have to, like, polish and scrape and, oh, I just got to make it so good, I've got to not use the wrong word here because otherwise they won't, otherwise they'll reject me, then fuck them. Like what you have to, what the the thing to like work on is the next bit, right? Which is when you send your stuff, it's so good that there's no way on earth they can reject you. 
But like in terms of like trying to like do this presentation, the shop window and make it perfect, perfect, perfect. No, fuck. Like they've got to like read it and go, I that's exactly my thing. That's my jam. I love books like that. Yeah, go on. Not. Oh, it's not really my thing, but they did. They have sold. They have they have they did use the six sentence formula. And that is like a secret. We've got like a honour code, an oath that we make as agents that means we do have to look at something if it if it's pitched to us in that formula, even though I'm lukewarm on it. Like I got asked to meetings before I had my current agent. I got asked to meetings with agents who wanted to talk about my work who just weren't that into it. I think they knew that they could sell it because I'm a good writer and I've done a good job. But they didn't, they just didn't love it. And why the fuck would I just end up going like, oh, go on then. Oh, please like it. Oh, will you, will you make room in your schedule for me? Will you, uh, I, I don't want that. I don't want someone who's just like, kind of like, oh, I've worked with people on creative projects before who make me feel like they're doing me a favour. And it's shit and it's draining. And they weren't. They were doing the opposite. And I felt like I had to com- continually pick them up and lift them up. And I, and and, it, and, it, and it's a great way of maintaining control over someone, right? Because it makes you feel shit about yourself. But it's not a great working relationship. And and, and I should say, like, with my, my, my agent doesn't like everything that I write. Has said... St- that she thinks some stuff, you know, isn't for her or isn't kind of her thing. Be very honest about it. And also, when I, you know, gave my first manuscript, my fiction manuscript to her, had loads of things she thought needed to be rewritten. Like, re- I did lots of, I did loads of work on it based on her feedback. And, and there's never been a manuscript I've submitted that hasn't gone through a fairly rigorous, quite punishing, you know, if anything, you know, I'd rather, you know, you know, part me, you know, for all my desire to be sort of, held to account actually doesn't enjoy it in the first instance i'd quite like to just sort of tears and flowers and and you know i'd I'd like to just have my balcony moment go out and say thank you thank you and have this crowd cheer and 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 then i go back inside and think well they love me but that's not how it is but it's someone who like fundamentally believes in what what i'm you know in, in that i can do something good right and because they like the same sort of thing that I like, will then say, but this isn't it, Chief, and I have to work harder on it. That's what you want. But it's like, but they love, in this instance, the entirely made-up story of, like, the kid assassin who's, like, being trained in a kind of, like, assassin school. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not medieval. It's 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 a bit more up-to-date than that. It's a bit, and it's quite fun in a dark way, because obviously people will get blow-darted and stabbed. But if someone goes, yeah, fuck, I'd read that. Then maybe you hand them the thing and they go, well, I want you to make this better because I know what this could be. But they care about it, you know. Like if you write amazing, amazing, just like, just like, um, um, num, 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 like romance novels where people are like, I I just want these people to get together. And this is so hot. This couple are just like, ugh. And, and and you just it's just great and you just want to like you just want to 
eat it. It's such a good story and it's just like everything you want and it made you feel good and you loved reading it. Right. It's just it's just the perfect. It's, it's just it, it, you're just so good at writing it. And then you give it to like a fucking. And I know there are eight, there are loads of people who love romance and crime, so I'm not suggesting crime is the antithesis, but you give it to an agent who deals with like like Scandi noir crime is their their thing. They love that. And they don't really read romance. Then they're going to make you feel shit. They might go, oh, yeah, I mean, you might write a great pitch letter where you've got all these reasons why they should like the thing. And you did it and you said that you've had this writing prize and this one and you went to this university and blah, 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 blah. And you really pitched to them what you think they want to hear. And then they read your thing and they go, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think you're you know clearly a good writer I, I kind of feel like um it is a bit light i felt like i wanted an extra thread to the story like they're gonna find they're just gonna give back this feeling of like that you are lucky to have and that's not really it's not totally their fault except they should say no they should have said no but they won't because they because part of them knows there's a book there and there are some agents who will just go look this is fucking brilliant but it's not for me and they'll mean it i think it's rare that an agent will say this is brilliant but it's not for me they'll say it's not for me and we wish you you know good luck elsewhere but to say it's to go out the way to say it's good but like and you and you could go around thinking that you're shit or you're doing your book wrong where and then as soon as you get it in front of someone who just loves those books and ha has other authors on their books who who write that kind of thing and just gets it and goes yes this is it you're an amazing like this is it this is what i want y you know you can't like I hate goat's cheese, right? I I I feel bad about because I I I know loads of people love it, and I know it's like a good, like it's a classy ingredient to put in stuff, right? And but people love it. Some people it's their favourite thing. They're having goat's cheese pizza. To me, it just tastes like trolls' earwax. It makes me feel like I'm licking out the inside of a smelly troll's ear hole. Right, I do not enjoy it. I, I think people who enjoy it are right. I think I'm wrong, but it makes me... I hate it. Oh, God. I, it, and, like, so if you could... You could be the fucking best chef in the land, but if you brought me uh, uh, your, your, your mash that you'd made that was made with goat's cheese, I would, like... I could re probably recognise your culinary skill, but, like, you, my face would just be going... I'd, and I wouldn't finish it. And so it's always about finding the right people. And I think you deserve better. As long as you've put the work in. That's the thing. You can't just do this and go, I deserve the best. And people are going to love me. And you have not put the hours in. And you've not written the fucking best book you can. If your book just doesn't just sing, if it's not, then, yeah, like, you can't skip stuff. But the place to put the work in is the book, not the fucking query letter so it goes to the agent like like i say if it's non-fiction it'll probably be one chapter and a plan if it's fiction you'll probably send them three chapters and then if they like that they'll get you to send the rest but you should have finished the whole thing right then next what happens if they're any good at their job right if they care if they give a shit they will give you feedback and editorial work that is increasingly the you know part of the agent's role <laughs> And they will hold you to account. They say, how can we make this as good as possible before I submit it? 
and they will ask you to make revisions. And based on the kind, you know, if you've got a good relationship with them and if that you've picked the right person because they love your work, then those revisions will be difficult. They will make you wonder whether you can do them. But they will also be hitting points that you care about. So they won't be like, ah, oh, could we just like, I, I, I really like this story, but could we just have like, could we just like have like three scenes with like people fucking in it? I know that's not really totally uh you know an obvious thread in your uh in your cozy wartime romance book but if we could just have like if we could just have like uh you know character a couple of characters in the b plot like this kind of uh like this the, this lady who who runs the tea shop and um the postman who's got a bit of shrapnel so he couldn't go to war if we could just have them like raw dogging on the beach i just think that'd be just think it'd be kind of cool that kind of like feedback you go well i don't feel like you get what my book's trying to do because i mean i suppose like raw dogging is technically you know in keeping with the time uh, because there was shortages of rubber so prophylactics would have been largely I mean, they were handed out to the soldiers, but um, because VD was a, you know, it was a big problem, you know, with, with you know, you could, it could, re- it could reduce your operational efficiency, but not, but you know, we'd like to draw a veil, a discreet veil over, you know, like, but like if they're if they're going, I just, I feel like I, we need to care about this community for the, in your imaginary, cozy wartime romance, um, I think feel like we need to really care about this community that's like the extra character in this for the protagonists like will they won't they thing to matter because that's really for all their differences in personality it's their shared love of this village and wanting to preserve it you know that is going to pull them together and and so I, th- I feel like we need a couple of moments where you like really bring out the village and its surrounding area and the kind of beauty of like what people are fighting to protect. I, I think if you can bring that out here, and I, I you know I just just a, a couple more descriptions, you know, a, a couple of things where you sort of bring out their the you know the sensuality of their affection for each other and their love, like in your descriptions of the countryside or in your just to, to bring that like that kind of feedback you're like that you get what i'm trying to do i don't know if i've got the chops to do that but you get what i'm trying to do and so that's the next stage and that can be a long stage and that also can be a stage where the whole thing falls apart maybe you can't do it to there maybe you you try and make the changes maybe there's a problem that they saw with it in the like final third where they're like it's really good up until but i don't like the ending and you try and make changes and you you falter and you stumble and the relationship falls apart um between you and the agent that you they you can't create something that they like uh based on that um and the same could be true with uh, you know the non-fiction book and the plan that they might feel like you haven't got the shape of a book yet and sometimes things can stall especially and this is why you want to have the book finished when you're writing non-fiction especially is because you want to be able to you're you're trying to at least keep the m- momentum up with these things you know uh I, I don't feel like you should be trying to 
you know, to overthink this and, but, and, and trying to win them over to feel like you need to dance for them. But I think it's good to have momentum for your sake and theirs. So that when you send it to them, you can act on the, any feedback they give you fairly quickly. Also, so they don't feel like they've wasted their time doing a load of... Because essentially, it's like free work they've done for you. If they haven't sold the book yet, they are taking a risk on you by reading your book and then giving in-depth feedback on it, right? And sometimes agents, you know, will give more or less. Sometimes, you know, they'll give, like, very detailed notes. Sometimes, especially, you know... Uh, depends on how much faith they've got in your book but i would say like the more in-depth feedback they give you that is genuinely like a that is generally a good sign that because if they just give you like a paragraph of notes it's fine but it suggests that they're really busy and that they haven't especially if the notes entail quite a lot of work i mean sometimes they'll say they'll give you a you know, a couple of paragraphs of written notes and then say, but do you want to have a phone call to go through it? But you need them to be, if they've got things that they want, you need them to be specific. And also, you need to be able to have like the confidence to say, like, if they've told you two things that feel like contradictory, you need to ask them to clarify. And if they haven't told you what they liked enough, then you need to get that so you don't accidentally cut it out in your your reworkings but so it can fall apart if they don't like what you've the way you've changed it if you can't do that in a way that you're happy with it's tough like it's emotionally tough doing that i i find it so anyway um then if you get it work it up to a place that they feel happy with submitting it and to be honest i feel like resentful when i have to make changes partly because i feel like i won't be able to do it very good and i feel like oh you don't know you don't know how hard this was for me i i'm going to mess it up and then you're going to say you don't like it anymore and i knew that you, you i wouldn't be able to do it but you made me change this and, uh, and it's like a lot of it's to do with feelings of vulnerability rather than you know they generally have been pointing out making really good well, that's why they're difficult to deal with, because they often write, right? So when someone points out weakness in your book, you're like, shit. I was hoping you were going to say, by the way, you probably think your work's... You probably think the ending is a bit weak, but I just want to say it's really strong. And you go, God, God thank goodness. It was just my uh, insecurities talking. No, sometimes that's just your skill talking. And you were right. There's sometimes... I mean, I was surprised with my latest book when people got back and said that they found any of it interesting. I thought that they were going to find it really boring. So I was kind of astonished. So I'm not always right. But um, anyway, uh, so they, they give you the feedback and eventually and, and, and then yet. But the thing is, I often then when they say, I think we're ready to send this off. I often then abruptly my feelings change. So like, are you are you flipping sure? Like, are you sure we shouldn't have another round of polishing? Can you not make some more suggestions for me to make it better? That's a scary moment. For completely, then you're like, oh, so, and then you're suddenly looking at your sentences, going, all right, is is this what I want to be judged on now? Am I signing off on this as my best work? Holy fucking shit! So then, what they'll do is generally, whether you're doing fiction or nonfiction, is generally, they will draw up a list of publishers they think that they would submit to, and that that list is sometimes getting smaller these days because there's fewer publishers because they're all conglomerating into one big gigantic multi-national publishing amoeba but um 
no maybe it's a single cells that isn't quite right is it well yeah just one kind of like gelatinous amorphous blob um but and they'll normally and it looks really exciting when you see all those names because you think holy fucking shit that's like 16 publishers who might take it surely some of them are going to like it if this agent likes it then surely they will and then it gets sent out and then you start getting and you generally get the first things you get back very early on are the no's they they come quickest like even if you're going to get yeses you'll get no's first because it's easier for someone to say i sorry we haven't got any space at the moment or no this isn't my kind of thing so that's generally what happened there's some other ways that uh, uh, your agent might send something out there might be one editor who they think is going to love it and they might send it just to them they call these like preempts but they might go i think this is a perfect match for you i'm giving you a chance to make an offer before anyone else and then you know you've got to make a good one but like if you if you preempt all the other people send because you know if i send it out to everyone else they're gonna love it but i'd love you to have it and then when that gets announced it will it'll be like announced as like that they they did a preempt and the the i i suppose it's supposed to maybe give like a little bit of a buzz that like someone it was shown to one person and they loved it <laughs> so it must be good uh and, and and this person got you know they, they got a little bit of a scoop there. it was a little bit of a coup because they they got it before and no one else even got to see it the implication being if it had gone out then someone else would have taken it maybe i mean i, I think that's quite it it's there might be lots of reasons people do that but an agent probably thinks it's worth a, a, a go and thinks that it's a night and like if that connect if they're right if they if they're connecting it with an editor who genuinely loves it then that's uh, and you and, and oh and by the way now you're going to be published that's amazing right but the other ways it might go is if multiple people like it and say that they're going to make an offer then the agent will start you know going okay what's your offer and if there's multiple people then essentially you're in an auction and then all of those uh publishers will put in an offer and then you look at their various offers and then maybe you know your agent gets to go back to them and say well look you just mm, multiple people have made offers here and your offer isn't as high as theirs so are you going to re-offer can you go any higher and everyone gets a chance to go again and you might have several rounds and the more people who are in the more you can get them to bid ridiculous amounts of money uh, and, and 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 those stages of an auction might include in fact will include you having meetings with them either going in or them phoning you up and they chat to you about what they they thought they liked about the book and they're probably to, to a certain extent pitching to you why they would be the best people to have but like my experience of that was it was really useful speaking to you know speaking to different publishers and hearing what they thought because uh, I just really wanted someone who was going to help me make the best book I could and that meant that I ended up going with uh, I'm with Canongate and uh, my editor at the time Joe Dingley who's been on the show there's an episode but she had stuff that she would change and she had criticisms and I was like yeah like cool this is what I want because there was another editor I spoke to. I was like, what would you change? And they were like, nothing really. 
And you might think, oh, that's enthusiasm. They love the book. Why wouldn't you go with someone who said, I just love your book and I wouldn't change a word. But I didn't want that. I wanted someone who would, you know, and then, you, and then of course, and then later on when someone's making you do more work, you think, why is this person working me like a dog? Can't they see? I've given it my all, but they're just, just very good at their job. And that is going to manifest as as getting a bollocking for being a lazy toad and being made to do more work and it made my book better and so that's who I went with was someone who was just really who could like recognize that the stuff I submitted to them had room for improvement was not perfect I, w- I would consider that you know I don't think that's being me my being modest this that Joe was able to look at my work and go yeah you could make this better Rather than you being the first person to submit a manuscript that, 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 that is unimprovable. Of course it's improvable. And I, that, I wanted that extra value. And I, you know, I got someone with loads of experience and skill, as well as the experience and skill of my agent who'd been involved. And then you get another phase later on with proofreaders and copy editors and things like that, which is you know a whole extra thing. But anyway, so or you might just have one person give feedback or you make an offer or you might have no publishers make an offer in which case there might be secondary things that can happen but the book may be sort of temporarily dead in the water which is a sad thing and I've had it happen to me and it just is what it is really um and then you're going to go to uh you know there's going to be they're going to suggest when the book's going to be coming out you'll sign and you'll get your first tranche of money for the book and then you'll be doing editing uh, on a time scale, trying to work the book up. And then once you've done that kind of like the once it's kind of like in some kind of mostly stable form, they'll print up proof copies, which are like uh, it depends. Sometimes there's more there's more and there's fancier or less fancy proofs. Sometimes people do. I think they're like doing some places do like super proofs or deluxe proofs. And I've seen all sorts of like fancy pants ways that proof books get uh, pimped out. Um, But also sometimes a a, a proof copy will just be. Like they call them bind ups and they're just like a a generic like it's not, you know, it's just like a, a cover with the words of the title on them. And they're just sent out to people super early because they want to try and get some people giving feedback saying that they they like your book so they can print that on the book. So other people reading it see that someone, preferably other authors or people who are like experts in the field, if you're writing nonfiction, have said that they like it. And then other people will be more likely to read it, more likely to review it, more likely to give it space on their programs. Maybe booksellers are more likely to shelve it or include it in promotions, all of those kind of things. So they'll, they'll do they do like this kind of pre-proof stage and then the proof stage goes out and all this time you're probably doing extra revisions and stuff and then finally the book gets printed properly uh you know often a couple of a couple of months to like a month and a half before the book is due to be released you get the like the final printings of it so i've got mine now and then at this stage we you know i've been going through the promotional process of the book which is a lot easier for non-fiction than it is for fiction. 
with fiction, there's not really a new story to hang the book off of. Like our print media writes about fiction less and less and review spaces have gone down, have, have sort of disappeared. And like a novel coming out isn't really newsworthy. Like maybe in your local paper, it'll be like local or author debuts with their, their new book and have a picture of you smiling, holding your book or whatever, especially if it's got like the book was set locally or something. But for the most part, like a novel doesn't really have a a hook for there being a reason for a newspaper to include it. And there's no reason to interview you. So fiction is like murder to like promote because it's just not a great scope. People just aren't interested interested in writing about it really sometimes you can like make up like what can we what could we do maybe there'll be a couple of events literary events and stuff but then actually like a lot of people don't turn up to those because why would you go to a, a literary event with an author you've never heard of before people don't that and 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 they're less well run than the ones i used to do you know i i did poetry gigs loads of live poetry gigs and people wouldn't know me from adam but it was like doing it was like doing stand up right so people go because they want to see comedy people go because they want to see stand up poetry performance poetry they don't really mind you know they're drawn to bigger names but they get will go to the show and there's multiple people on the bill just seeing like some fucking rando you've never heard of talk about a book that they've written you know if you say do you want to read this book by a debut author i might say yes but do you want to hear the debut author like talk about it well yeah i mean again the answer is yes for me because i have particular tastes and i make this podcast right so i do genuinely love those but i would probably want to speak to them myself rather than just watch them but you know they're talking about a book like that's not the medium it's in like performance poetry that is the end state right like the like when you perform the poem that is the art when you talk about a book that isn't the art, that's you reflecting on the art. Like you're not the, the audience aren't even given access to the actual work. So why you know live events are not uh, are often not a great way to draw audiences. Like I'm a, I've got a bit of a leg up because of my sort of background and stuff. I think I can put on a reasonable one if I've got an audience there. But it's not something that you get like huge numbers to. You know, like I. I I feel like I could do several months of doing uh, live events and book launches and all this kind of thing, and 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 then and and I would have reached about the same audience that I reached with one episode of this podcast, you know, because it's just not a good medium for like encountering people most of the time with a few exceptions there used to be events like book slam in london that would just had a really big audience and a really big engaged audience but you just also want an audience who buy books like otherwise what's the what was the fucking point well i suppose it could be fun and that's reasonable enough but like you want to shift copies you want people to come up to you and buy copies of your book like when i did the launch for the honors we sold out of copies of the honors because we did it as a gig a bunch of my friends came along and performed for free um the audience were came in for free and then we just like hammered buy a book buy a book buy a book and they um, and the audience just like yeah they just bought loads they knew that was what was coming and they just bought loads of copies and i was i was 
chuffed to bits. It was amazing. But like most book events aren't done like that. All of which I say is like, do not be offended if you don't get invited to do loads of like author readings and, uh, you know, a big launch event and all that stuff. Because it's largely bollocks in terms of sales and engaging with people. It doesn't really matter. But with nonfiction, I found it's loads easier because I'm like, my book is about anxiety and it's mental health awareness week the second week of may so like loads of people want to hang like an article off that like or they want to hang like a little radio slot we you know we it's mental health awareness week so we got this author who's been talking about you know written a book on anxiety and was an anxiety sufferer himself and it's like oh can you write us an article about how to deal with anxiety like like, it's just like this and, and when i was doing my even when i did we can't all be astronauts and it's on the slightly more esoteric subject of like wanting to be an author actually like local radio loves that shit they love that shit almost as much as they like you know people phoning in with their diy disasters like if you can you can go i went i did like every bbc local radio station they kind of sit you in one room i think i went into like norwich and i they link you up with every bbc local radio station and i went on as a guest from one room one after the other doing chats where they were like now have you ever wanted to write your own book or be an author they say everyone's got a novel inside them but author tim clare worried that his wouldn't get out so he went on a quest to discover what it takes to become an author and what happens to those people whose dreams don't come true tim writing a book's pretty hard these days isn't it do you think everyone's got a novel inside them? And then I'd go, oh, well, oh, it's funny you should say that. That's a very good question. It's one I wanted to set out when I wrote my book, We Can't All Be Astronauts, which is available for me. Blah, 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 blah. But it's like like when you're writing nonfiction, like you're implicit like authority in that area. Like, and, and maybe sometimes it's a little bit harder, again, to pitch those things if you've, like, say, written a biography of... I don't know. I can't think of a historical figure who would be funny who isn't actually potentially the subject of a biography that um Andrew Marvell right so you, and 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 uh, you know you've written a biography and maybe it's not obvious like how they should hook something on that but there's still people who are interested in it like you can still you, you know you probably are going to be forced to try and go this is why it's more imp- this person I was writing about is more important today. Their legacy is more important today than it's ever been. But like generally non-fiction books, like there's a subject and that subject matter can be made re- relevant and it's easier to promote than fiction. Sorry, fiction authors, you know, you get movie adaptations, <laughs> you get potentially comic book adaptations, you get like non-fiction authors never get sent fan art of their work. They probably do. There's probably some exceptions to that. But for the most part, right, there's loads of cool things that you get. But non-fiction is definitely easier to promote. And it's easier to kind of get different gigs off the back of than fiction. Um, Fiction, you know, some stuff can bubble up later on. Like if it starts winning, that's why the kind of horrible, shitty, like award culture, like does have this one thing of it like gives newspapers an excuse to write about someone and then they might start doing interviews with that person and whatever or if the book sells very well blah 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 that can sometimes do something later on but I think that's just just kind of makes me sad really on the other hand like promo 
to what extent is it you know it's an old system and i wonder to what extent does it do anything these days like word of mouth is a really big thing uh i think a lot of bestsellers are written by you know people who've already got a, a profile uh who then you know that's the problem is a lot of the real estate that uh, of like where fiction books are talked about is taken up by celebrities writing fiction books because they're the guests that will be on they're the guests who will come on the one show because they're a guest that people will tune into so you know but sometimes if something wins prizes, gets a lot of buzz around it, there'll be little bits that will be written about it. Then if lots of people read it, that person might, you know, go and do a an interview or something like that. I don't know. But And then your book comes out and you might do some events. So that's like, and through that period, you know, you will have got a, a tranche of, generally now it's split into thirds, so you'll get a tranche of money at the beginning. I'm saying tranche as many times as I can. It just means pie slice, um, a wedge. You'll get a tranche of money at the beginning, uh, a third of it, on signing, basically. You might get a tranche of money on submitting the final manuscript and getting it signed off on. So they go, yeah, yeah, you've, you've, you've done all the edits we need. That's great. And then you get the final tranche when um, the book comes out. I've heard some talk of some people getting it in quarters now and uh, you get all of that as a quarter and then the final quarter when it comes out in paperback so then there's like a hardback release or maybe if it's sometimes your book will come out in what they call like trade paperback so like big flashy paperback instead of hardback and then it will be released in paperback later on in the smaller format in the b format paperback that's kind of it obviously um that process is very different um, if you are sort of an indie, you're sort of publishing yourself. And sometimes the promotional business is very different as well. You know, like uh, uh, Alexander Gordon-Smith, who was one of, the, one of the first guests I had on here, has been, right, you know, wrote a crime series. And clearly, like, he didn't have all of those things in the background. And then he didn't go on, lo like, doing loads of sort of tv around it or things like that and it was one of the best-selling ebooks in the uk last year or maybe the year before i can't remember which one it was but like it it did incredibly well it just and you know i think i think he probably you know sp spent a little bit of money on you know he thought about his promotions and um uh, he thought about, you know, where how he's going to set the pricing and maybe spent a little bit on, like, advertising and stuff like that. But, like, the fact is, it's just... A, a, the, the series of books are just really well-written examples of the genre that people want to read and people enjoy reading. And there's a lot of competition. So to have hit the top of that, I think he's done incredibly well. So there's different routes to all this. And if what I just described to you as the process sounds horrible, there are... Especially for certain genres, there are other routes, including kind of like indie sort of stroke self-publishing. Um, but one of the things I'd say is like at the end of that process, you're kind of spat out. As soon as you finish a book, you're kind of spat out on the starting line of a new book. So this idea that you're going to feel some relief, actually what you feel is, now what? So I think you've got to, I, I try to distance myself from the actual promotion and process of, of doing that although I'm quite enjoying it at the moment I'm enjoying writing about anxiety but I'm also writing a new book and I kind of want to be getting on with that so I've got mixed feelings but um 
you're kind of spat out on the starting line. You've got to start again. So really, <laughs> what I'm saying is there is no reward. I don't mean it like that, but I just think it's good to focus on enjoying the process because the end is often a bit underwhelming. It's lovely to look back on the books I've written. I'm so happy with them. And I've, and I, I, lo- I do enjoy book events and I enjoy writing about them. Um, but really, to keep myself sane, I've always got to just focus on the intrinsic satisfaction of just trying to work out something a a topic or a story that i don't understand and that just like the everyday challenge of it and the puzzle of it that's what i can control is sitting down to grapple with that anyway that is my sort of overview of what the pub uh, from kind of like uh from idea to book on a shelf is what is what that kind of thing looks like if you've got any questions about publishing that you'd like me to go into in a bit more depth um, then please do send them to me. You can get in touch via my website, timclairpoet.co.uk. Um, just go on the contact me link and you can send that to me. I'm going to be going on tour to promote Coward in the first two weeks of May. I'm going to put updates on my website and on Twitter as well and on my um, Instagram, I'm sure, as well, and on Facebook. But um, look out for those but first two weeks of may i'm going all around the uk including like in, on the saturday the 14th of may i'm going to be up in glasgow uh on i want to say yeah, that would make it wednesday the 11th of may i'm at waterstones in london doing a uh, an event there with the book in the evening i would love to see you there if you can get to london i think i'll hopefully be chatting to um the author and poet and writer and screenplay writer Byron Vincent, who you might have heard me on the show. He's going to be sort of chatting to me about my book. Um, I've got a gig. I'm doing a launch event in Norwich on the fi- on Thursday, the 5th of May. Uh, and I'm doing... I've got one in Wimborne as well on the uh, in the morning of the 11th, of Wednesday the 11th as well. So if you're down there on the south coast... And I'm doing some other places as well, uh, uh, and I'm hopefully going to be adding some more dates as well. But I'm coming up to Manchester, and I'm doing Leeds as well, um, and I'm going to try and work some other stuff in. So, yeah, it would be lovely to see you, and if you've got any suggestions of places I could stop along the way, or you want to offer me events, I'd love to hear from you. But that's going to be the first two weeks of May. If you enjoy the uh, podcast and you'd like to keep supporting it, then you can go onto my um, coffee page. I'll put the link in the show notes. That's uh, ko dash fi dot com forward slash tim claire drop me a few beans via there that helps me keep the lights on i super appreciate it and if you want to support me and you'd like to read my new book coward why we get anxious and what we can do about it which is uh, a sort of the story of what i did to try and get over my chronic lifelong severe anxiety and panic attacks by meeting scientists and experts from all around the world and trying out the latest research and treatments to try and get well um then i'll put a link in the show notes where you can pre-order copies of coward i would love it if you pre-ordered it's one of the best ways you can one of the best things you can do to support me and um, i think you're going to really dig the book as well but i would love it if you pre-ordered and uh, you know i should just let the quality of my work sort of stand out for itself but instead i'm not too um i'm not too proud to beg and i'm going to say please 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 go and click the link and pre-order a copy of um coward don't do it for any reward that you're going to get for yourself. Just do it for me out of a sense of um, obligation.
and if you want compassion but if if just the feeling you're getting if you're just getting like a little bit of discomfort in your belly at me going on you know you feel like like i'm slightly pushing it just listen to that voice and um, go and pre-order it please okay thanks very much for listening to today's episode Uh, i hope you're well and may you have a wonderful week of writing